I'm Mike. I'm Sadio. And I'm Omer. And welcome back to Oats for Breakfast. We're going to continue the discussion we were having about the coronavirus and its social, cultural, political implications. Where did we leave off last time? When we're just transitioning to, you know, in the local context. Right. Yes. You were saying, Mike, about the sort of fears of the other. Yeah, the fears of the other and how this is... The local context as in here in in Toronto. In Toronto and and then Canada. Right. Or in the West. One of my friends uh, on Chinese New Year, she's Chinese. We had originally planned to go to a dim sum place for Chinese New Year. But after the coronavirus stuff started coming out, she expressed a lot of hesitance to go to a Chinese restaurant, both for, uh, according to her because of the crowds and coronavirus. Okay, but wait, is that, that's not, she's just being careful. Or she's no, taking... she's just being irrational, I think. I mean, you know, a lot of Chinese people, I guess the precautions that they're taking, I think, you know, they're overreacting. I mean, what one thing I guess that you can say is, especially if you're older and you're from, let's say, Hong Kong or China, is you do have that memory of SARS, and that's going to make you take certain precautions. But uh, yeah, I remember last Monday, me and uh, Alexi, after teaching tutorials on Mondays, we usually go out and eat and we went to the Chinese restaurant. Actually, this is two weeks ago, and it was just very empty. And usually in the evening, it's usually about half full, but the time that we went, it was very, very empty. There was maybe about just two tables. Well, okay, so, but is this... People being, so like Sadi, this, this story you just told about your Chinese friend who no longer wanted to go out for Chinese New Year, is this the result of a phobia or is just someone being overcautious? I think she was just on the spectrum of options available to go for Chinese New Year. She seemed to just calculate that, well, you know, might not want to go to a Chinese place because of the remote possibility that there is some potential for infection. And yeah, I mean, when we hear of xenophobia and such uh, an anti-Chinese sentiment, I think we're, we're assuming in the West that a lot of it is from the white population to the Chinese population. I think among our white brothers and sisters, I mean, they're not, I mean, Canada is a much, much more like a humane and progressive society compared to, let's say, 30 or 40 years ago you're not going to get basically these off-color comments in public. You're probably going to get see, you know, quote-unquote microaggressions or very small ways. You know, if you cough, people are going to look or, you know, there was a count, you know, someone might, like, they're not going to say outright these things. And that's that's a good thing. But, you know, you do see that fear in Chinese restaurant, although not to make light of your friend's fears, she might as well have ended up going to, you know, the dim sum because it probably wouldn't have been crowded at all. That's true. So. Yeah, I mean, but okay, there's certainly many sort of examples one can look to on social media of people making overtly racist remarks, right? Like Chinese restaurant Facebook groups, for instance, have been getting bombarded by people saying, oh, you shouldn't go here. They probably have like bat and other stuff in their food. You never know. So this kind of, you know, this kind of sentiment is there. But I, I don't know if this, if that's the same. At, like, obviously, though, you're going to have these kind of trolls and, and racists who come out at this kind of time. 
to say these kinds of things. I just, I don't know if the overcautious sort of nature of people saying, okay, let's not go to Chinatown, you know, whether that's really the same thing. I don't know. Like to me, that's just partly because of the media hype and the lack of perspective that's being placed on this issue. It just seems like that's, people are just being like, okay, well, might as well just be cautious. And, and some of the response that people have is overwhelmingly silly. Like the, like Mike, you sent me an article about how people are no longer drinking as much uh, Corona beer because they are worried that it might have the coronavirus in it. So these kinds of things, I don't know, it's just whatever seems to be associated with the virus, people are like, okay, let me not, let me not. And I think there, there is, you know, in terms of some of the popular press and certainly, you know, WhatsApp and Facebook, they do tend to promote this hysterical kind of uh, approaches. So this is just a picture that's showing basically in Singapore, there's a bit panic buying. So the only instant noodles that's left over is the Wuhan instant noodles, even though I'm probably sure that it's not, you know, there's actually no relations. Right. So Mike is just showing us a photo of a supermarket in Singapore. Oh, Wait. in Guangzhou, actually. Oh, in Guangzhou. Okay. So this is in China, which is, yeah, the shelf that, that's pictured is completely empty, except there's a, a bunch of Wuhan instant noodle, lots of those who are, that are on the shelf. But so did you guys hear about the place in Markham, which uh, is just north of Toronto here, one of the suburbs, there's the, the restaurant Wuhan Noodle 1950, right? That's the name of the restaurant. Yeah. And yeah, unfortunately, they've been getting a lot of like people prank calling and like for a while there were people just weren't coming. And then there was a story about it in the press. Mm -hmm. And then what happened is actually lots of people started going and now the place is like too full. You know, yeah, the, the, the reaction is not surprising to me, but I also think that you know, one of the reasons why I don't like social media personally is because I think it brings out the worst in people. I mean, you see the racism now with Wuhan. I mean, just uh, the other example is, uh, what was her name? The one that does the morning show, the African-American lady, uh, Gail King or something. She basically raised a question about Kobe and the sexual assault. Uh, she just got constant backlash and death threats and whatnot. And don't get me wrong, I'm a big Kobe fan, but at the end of the day, you know, I think this is a bit overboard. You know, there is something, at least in America or even here, you have freedom of speech. You may not like what she said, but, you know, there's for some reason people think that you could say like horrendous things to a female reporter, journalist. So I, I'm not entirely surprised by this. And I don't think this is purely isolated to just uh, the Wuhan virus thing. So this is my personal opinion. Right. I mean, I think, you know, the, the WhatsApp channels as well. Like, I think my dad sent me a forwarded video and it was just supposed to be a video where somebody's walking around market in Wuhan, supposedly in Wuhan, and, you know, showing the different animals that are on sale and such. And so it was supposed to be like, yeah, see, this is what Chinese people eat and therefore no wonder that there would be this kind of disease, which I think is a, is a repeated trope outside of epidemic, like whatever coronavirus infections as well, that, you know, our Chinese people eat weird shit. So, well, yeah. So, Sadia, actually, you refused to watch that video. I, I, I watched, you sent it to me and I watched it. It is like, a, you know, one of those walkthrough videos and it's one of those bustling markets. 
I love those places. Whenever I'm in a place, just go and check out the local market. And yeah, and the person keeps like zooming in on the snakes that are being sold. So it's it's it, these kinds of things are going around, and people are like, "Oh, look at this." But so. there's also apparently uh, one of the conspiracies. Well, there's several conspiracies to try and explain where this coronavirus came from. And so one of them is that, and I've heard actually from a friend of mine that, oh, well, this was actually biological warfare by the U.S. to try to destabilize China. And then there was another one that, oh, it was actually China itself that was trying to prepare biological weapons, but then it got out of hand. I, you can't buy much into this. I mean, yeah, there is murmurs, at least in China, not by a lot of people, you know, that thinks that all oh, the Wuhan virus or SARS is made by the U.S. to try to keep China down. And I mean, that's just, you know, if you actually rationally think it through, that's, I mean, you know, there's no basis for that. I guess when you have news of this type, you're going to get a lot of inf- misinformation, especially in the early stages. But there is something about, I find this really interesting. I, I mean, I think those of us on the academic left, let's say, or on the left, or the activist left, we are really not in touch with the way that you know normal people are taking in news and information and distributing rumors and conspiracy theories and i and i really think that we miss out on you know we we quick to sort of jump on the kinds of reactions people have and sort of label them as like well this is clearly irrational or this is clearly racist you know and i don't I don't know if we should do that. I think we should try to sort of be grounded or try to inhabit and try to kind of understand where it is that people are coming from. Obviously, we can't engage in conspiracy theories, but I like I'll give you an example of my own interactions with people and what I've heard. So, at work, and I, you know, for anonymity's sake, I can't I can't uh can't say necessarily where I work, but uh, or I guess I quit the job now. But anyway, I was working somewhere uh, last month, and we had one of my coworkers is a friend of mine at work. Uh, we had like shipments come in from China, and you know he made this like half joking remark, like, "Hey, isn't there that the virus outbreak in China? This is this kind of like a health and safety issue. Maybe maybe we shouldn't be opening these boxes." He said that, and then I looked at him, and then he's like. But yeah, I guess viruses don't really live that long. <laughs> and then we moved on, you know? We, he chuckled and he moved on. And I know that the correct sort of line as a leftist for me in that situation is, oh, you got to shut it down. You got to shut down any kind of thing that might seem like it's going in the direction of xenophobia or racism. But in that circumstance, I certainly had no inclination. I didn't want to do that. And I didn't think it deserved that. I, I agree with you. I think you I think you did the right thing, you know, just chuckling and then eye rolling. And- yeah. And I think that was the way that he meant to kind of say it. Um, and then I'll give you the second. Uh, and I, I guess uh, you're probably more principled than I am. I probably would have just agreed with him. And that means one less box to open, less work to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> I don't know if we'd been able to get it, get away with that. But um, the other example is another coworker, and th- he, this was a, a very old elderly uh, man who 
in the midst of telling me about how he doesn't really want to be in Canada, he only recently came because his kids were here and they pressured him to come and he hates it here. <laughs> and, and, you know, he has to, like his wife makes him go to work because if he doesn't go to work, then he'll be drinking at home. <laughs> and so he's just telling me this, all this stuff about himself. And then eventually he brings up like, okay, so this, he's like, you know, so I saw on Facebook that this coronavirus thing is a curse from Allah because the Chinese are oppressing, you know, millions of Muslims. And so this is, you know, the retribution that God is giving them. And then he kind of chuckled. And then he told me a second story. Uh, he's like, and then I also saw also on Facebook or on a WhatsApp group or something that actually this is the curse of a cobra because the virus was transmitted according to, according to this thing I saw is transmitted from a, a snake and because people were eating this cobra and you know you're not supposed to do that it's a holy animal and so now he's speaking from the perspective of a Hindu or, or of Hinduism and then he told me this story about how there was this cook who was like cooking up cobra and then he cut off the head of the cobra threw it into the garbage but he didn't realize that the cobra was still alive and then he threw something else in the garbage but while he was doing so the cobra bit his hand and he got poisoned and died and he's like and that's the curse of the cobra and then <laughs> in response to this i chuckled and i said poor chinese people they've got you know, both been cursed by Allah and by the cobra. <laughs> Can't be nice to be dealing with it. And then we both chuckled and we moved on. I've heard the Allah's curse one as an explanation by a few different people, but usually as like a half joke because people, I guess, mean it more as like, well, wouldn't that be some sort of divine retribution? And if we take conspiracy theories, as you're suggesting we do, Mayor, as like interesting social products, then what we can see in the sort of conspiracy theory that, okay, well, it's the U.S. trying to sort of make millions of Chinese people sick is, is a certain kind of solidarity even for Chinese people and, and a certain kind of sentiment of like sympathy against U.S. aggression. And in terms of the Allah's curse, especially if, if it's being said by non-Muslim people, I think it's like inadvertently a certain kind of solidarity towards Muslims suffering under the Chinese state. So what the different kind of conspiracy theories reveal about the underlying politics or underlying sentiment, even if it's like inconsistent, because they usually are inconsistent. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think this is a, maybe this is going beyond the current discussion. I mean, when you talk about conspiracy theories, I always think of conspiracy theories as a very terrible answer to a very good question, which is what's going on, and you don't have you know, the best answers. So that might be a bit of digression for how I personally view conspiracy theories, but even for me, like the immediate thing I would say if anyone peddled those conspiracies, especially about the US, is, you know, this is really gonna hurt China's economy. You know, Wobo Ross, that really insensitive comment about, oh, this is gonna bring manufacturing jobs back to China, no. This back is, to the U.S.? Yeah, back to, excuse, excuse, uh, excuse me, back to the U.S. No, this impact of the Wuhan virus and the lockdown, this probably the impact to the U.S. economy will probably be much worse than the trade war. And with regards about uh, the Allah comment, 
I mean, OPEC just recently made, basically had a meeting where they're going to have to cut, cut down production. Why? Because China's not, now not buying oil, and China is actually a major trading partner to a lot of these Muslim countries. So, I mean, if you, I mean, some of these are, I mean, we got to separate them into categories. Some of them are basically done in a way as a joking fashion. So, you know, like we don't, you know, this might not be talked too much because, you know, it's a, it's a joke. You know, we, these always exist. But the American one, I usually, I shut it down by saying it's like, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you actually think it through, right? Actually, that is what I said to my friend as well, because he was more asking me what I thought. Yeah. Uh, and so it wasn't a completely unsolicited kind of uh, oh, okay. response from my end. But I was like, well, you know, actually the the American economy and the Chinese one is very closely connected and America wouldn't want to destroy the Chinese economy. And he was like, yeah, I guess so. But I mean, in terms of like information processing, right? And, and to go back to what Umair was saying about like, People like us who have access to and are able to scrutinize a barrage of information. And in fact, I think compared to ordinary people, we probably don't get as much, like our social networks don't include people who would regularly indulge in conspiracy theory. So they're not going to be sending us articles and like WhatsApp videos and such, except for maybe like relatives who... Yeah. Uh, you know, don't understand us uh, as individuals. No, I, I always appreciate when I get that stuff. Yeah, because it's a, it's a, like a peek into yeah. uh, the rest of the world. You know, sometimes I do get this when I teach undergraduate students. I don't know if this is uh, going too off topic. You know, I had one student that one time talked about uh, how California was going to give uh, uh, undocumented migrants the right to vote. And I just looked at him and was like, well, you find me that source? When I see it, I'll see what's going on. And what he did find, he's like, oh, whoops, my bad. It's like, it's actually driver's license, right? To give him driver's license, not the right to vote. So, you know, I gave him a look and I made like a joke. It's like, you know, and then we moved on. So I think a lot of times, I think you're right, Umer, that depending on, it really depends on basically what context. And it's not always the best idea. I think as you're saying that it's just to shut it down. Sometimes, you know, it's better off asking like the questions like, well, why do you believe this? Like, let's hear your perspective. Well, yeah. And to be honest, I don't know what our role is, right? I mean, obviously, we don't, we don't want to peddle in conspiracy theory, but we also don't want to denounce people as, you know, irrational because often people are not, as, you, as you've said, Mike, like they're sort of half jokingly saying it and and people who aren't all that politicized or, or care that much about politics like we'll talk about these things and they'll do it from a casual in a casual way that doesn't have you know even in their mind as much as much weight as we might attach to it you know so we'll look at something and say like you know we'll find so much meaning in it whereas people are just like you know they're just chatting just having a conversation so this is not just in the case of these these kinds of responding to conspiracy theories, but let me let me bring in another element. I mean, responding to you know xenophobia around this sort of stuff. I also don't know that we have the right kind of approach. I mean, I think the left, especially recently, has certainly created a sort of subculture where we all know what the right thing to say and on in any given situation is 
especially around issues of race, you know, or, or the, the wrong, what the wrong things are to say. We know, we know that you're not supposed to say whatever, and that certain things are maybe seen as xenophobic, and therefore there the, the response always is, oh, you got to shut that shit down. And again, I don't know if that's really the right approach. Like, okay, I am obviously not happy with the fact that a lot of Asian kids who are going to school these days mm -hmm. here in Toronto and elsewhere are going to be facing bullying by other kids who are saying, oh, are you, do you have like the virus? Ha ha ha. Did you go to China? Uh, and that's, that's obviously terrible. And then there's the other, there's been the, the petitions that have been going around. So I think in the York, York region school board, a bunch of parents got together and filled out a petition to ask the school board to monitor whether certain kids had gone to China during the holidays and to alert the parents if that had happened. And of course- Wasn't that petition started by a Chinese parent? Are you saying that? No, no, actually that was another petition. I don't know who started this particular petition, but there was another petition in Waterloo that a student, or one of the university students there started asking that the university campuses in the city be shut down. And I, you know, this was getting some media. So I looked up the petition and it was like an Asian dude who started the petition. He probably uh, basically needed to study for one of his finals probably. Yeah, maybe. And then there was like a bunch of comments from like Asian people being like, yeah, we need to stop the virus. Um, and I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know all of the, uh, maybe it's like, uh, you know, anti-mainland sentiment. Maybe those are people from Hong Kong. Or it could just, it could be people from mainland. I'm not sure. But anyway, so like these kinds of petitions, like they do feed into, you know, anti-Chinese sentiment. And I think the left's approach to these things as as soon as this thing happened, you know, there was a bunch there were a bunch of stories even in the mainstream press but in in left publications about how this is going to lead to a rise in anti-Chinese sentiment, which of course it, it's it's going to and has. But I think we on the left often have a kind of bad faith engagement with these sorts of things, right? We start out with the idea that oh, look, look, people are being fucking racist. Like, you know, it's like this condescending attitude and like, we're better, like we're better than them. Like we know people shouldn't be racist and we'd like denounce it, you know, this sort of like, oh, of course this is happening kind of mentality. And in a way, as if to suggest that this is in any way representative of broader society or, or you know, or to what extent it's representative, we're not we're not willing to say. You know, it, it's sort of this very broad brush sort of approach that we take. Yeah, and I think that's wrong. I think we have to be able to say that, yes, this is happening and this is bad, but also take into account the broader whole. And, you know, people will say like, oh, look, this the same thing happened during the SARS epidemic and people stopped going to Chinatown look at how racist people are. And then I would point out, well, actually that was really momentary because everybody forgot about SARS and then, you know, you, you couldn't find a place to sit in Chinatown a year later and ever since. And you know, the previously what you said about the story with Wuhan noodles. 
Right. Yeah. Like what happened to solidarity, solidarity that was shown afterwards. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I think part of it is that what's the left has got to spend much more time combating is at least the tropes. That's a, that that is the general tropes, at least not not just that deals with Chinese communities, but with broader communities as a whole. When you don't have these sort of crises, right? And you know, I, I think、uh, at the end of the day, you know, sometimes when people half jokingly make these things, you know, I don't, I don't think that this is a、uh, what is it, what is it, representative of actually like them actually having these, you know, visceral feelings, hostile feelings against the Chinese populace as a whole. So for me, like, yeah, I think we've all experienced microaggressions because of our various backgrounds, but. I think for a left that is wise, I think every individual also know what are things that you have to confront and just outright confront people and just shut down, and what are things that maybe you know this is not the best tactic that we ought to use, and maybe a bit of humor or just asking them questions, and then they'll see kind of oh, actually my view doesn't make a lot of sense. So that's、uh, that's my personal take on this. Like for the you know the Wuhan thing. You know, I, I my students were a bit nervous, and I coughed a bit, and one of them jokingly said, "You know, they said like, 'Oh my God, do you have the Wuhan virus, right? You know.'" And my reaction is like, "No, I have the flu, but I guess you should be worried about that because that kills a lot more Canadians." I mean, you know, I said it as a joke. I didn't have the flu, but you know. So it's. I think you're right, Umair. That it, it, confrontation to just the desire to shut it down all the time is probably. Is almost always not the best tactic. I mean, there are certain cases. Yes, if there's actually, if you know that you see there is real malicious intent. But how many of those people do you actually see in real life? And I think in Canadian civil society, I mean, that undercurrent is always there. Don't get me wrong, but I do think it is much more civilized than what thirty, forty, forty years ago. And I mean, the so the thing is, you know, culturally we have to battle these. Prejudices or perceptions, when you know there isn't all of these cases out there. But I mean, look on the one hand. So you know, I've seen lots of articles and lots of like, both Facebook posts and and newspaper articles of leftists sort of scolding people and leftists taking it as a as their duty, in fact, to either preemptively scold people to not give in to racism or to sort of. You know, as a punishment, be like, "See, you gave into the racism, bad on you." And on the one hand, I feel like you know, in terms of who that would reach, like whether that would do anything at all, it would just reach other sort of like guilty liberals who will be like, "Yeah, of course, I I shouldn't be like that, and I should also feel good about myself that I'm not giving into this、uh, sort of virus of racism that you know emerges time and again." I okay. So the part of it that I'm most uncomfortable with. Is the vindictiveness of this kind of anti-racism? You know, if someone comes out and says something or is seen saying something, they want those people to be punished.、Yeah. And、uh, yeah, I I'm really uncomfortable with that. I mean, as a left, the left should not have its moral culture. Be based in vindictiveness.、Mm-hmm. That's not to say we shouldn't be divisive and we shouldn't say who our enemies are, but、uh, there is this kind of poisonous 
kind of vindictiveness that's that's well, part of this. Yeah, it's almost. I mean, I agree. I think it's almost as if uh, you know we want to feel righteous at the expense of basically whether that righteousness is actually helpful for the long term strategic goal of what we try to accomplish in the left. And I think part of one of the things I learned in the classroom is confronting sometimes right wing opinions. You know, the, I mean, sometimes you just you do have to shut it down if it's disrespectful to immediately a person within the class. But if it's like a general opinion, you know, most of these kids, they don't really know a lot. You know, the goal is not to, you know, be vindictive and shut them down. It's actually to try to basically it's a it's a learning experience, right? Well, can I give you guys an example of um, one of the things that's happened? Did you guys hear about that CTV journalist, Peter Ackman? No, what happened to him? Okay, so he, a few days ago, went to the barber. Oh, I think I heard of this, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, this is the one. So he went to the barber, and his barber happened to be an Asian guy. And, and he took a photo with him, and he posted on Twitter, I hope all I got today was a haircut. Shitty man. Yeah, no, that's that's obviously stupid to to have done that. And he got fired. He's just lost his job. I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest. I mean, it's it's a shitty thing to say, but come on, I, I you know I'm I'm sure like as minorities, there are much shittier things that people could have said to you, like what we personally experienced. So I mean, this is just my opinion, right? I think it's. As a Chinese person, as a Chinese person, yeah, Mike, this is the opinion because you're Chinese. Whoa, you whoa, you represent all Chinese people. Whoa, don't you? Whoa, remember what we talked about the monolith? Don't <laughs> you know? Like, there's a lot of different Chinese people. Are there? Yeah, I mean, yes, what he said is inappropriate, but I don't think it's on the same level like what uh, uh, well, Rush Limbaugh. I'm glad he has cancer. <laughs> Maybe you're going to edit that out. It's not like he said, you know, ching chong ding dong, China man's, you know, all that. You know, yes, it's really joke and very poor taste, very insensitive. But compared to some of the things that's said, I mean, you know, I've, I've seen much, much worse. You know, and I think maybe we're letting a learning experience go to waste. I think I probably would have just sent him to Wuhan to cover the Wuhan virus thing. Well, I mean, if he's a public figure, so he is different than some random Twitter user, mm -hmm. right? And so in that sense, even if it was his personal account, for him to say that, it does get more of an audience and it encourages other people who are having those sort of sentiments already to voice them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think, although I agree with you guys' early points that, earlier points that random people and ordinary people who are who might be voicing stuff as a joke, as he is saying as a joke as well, shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't just gang up on them and like try to beat them into submission. In this case, I think there should have been consequences. But I think, yeah, like obviously the CTV is not doing it because it's in solidarity with like Chinese people. It's just doing it because it's... Well, it's bad for money, business. Yeah, they don't want to hurt their brand. I mean... I think, but it would have been maybe much more helpful if you went on television 
and read something like, you know, what I said is actually really insensitive and I've had like a good heart to heart with some of these people, these experiences and whatnot, and, you know, not fire him and actually talk to him. And then maybe he presents, a, you know, something like a public, uh, what is it? Uh, what is it? Public service announcements. So. Well, he did apologize. He deleted the tweet uh, the same day and then apologized. Look, I think part of this is uh, a workers' rights issue. I don't think that employers should have so much power that they can fire someone because they, you know, off the job, they said something or did something that the employer may not like or that I may not like, right? I mean, as someone, I don't, I don't like that he made this, um, which, which was just a joke. I, I understand that it was just a joke, but it, you know, it was a joke in bad taste. And in that, in the, present context it's not a good thing to have done but once again is this representative of what this person is does this moment does this this particular tweet represent everything about him i don't know i don't think so and i think we give away too much power to private corporations if we allow them you know the right to Fire their employees. Yeah, to fire their employees for one or another off-color comment that's perhaps made off the job. And I do think from a public figure perspective, I mean, a lot of our public figures today, they say way worse things and they get away with a lot more, like our politicians. Like, just remember the, the late Rob Ford. I mean, he said plenty of offensive things. I distinctly remember one offensive things he said about... Chinese people, they work like dogs. They work their hearts out and all they worked like dogs, man. They worked their hearts out. And this was to justify, you know, opening retail on holiday seasons. Mm -hmm. And that to me is much, much more offensive than what this journalist said. And he still get to keep his job. Well, I uh, didn't have an employer. Technically, mm -hmm. he Rob Ford didn't technically have he couldn't be fired. So, well, actually, I want to ask you guys about this Rob Ford thing in a second. But on this journalist, the response that you just gave, Mike, mm -hmm. about, you know, well, other public figures do things and sometimes much worse things. They no, no, not, not just other public figures, but, you know, public figures that have a much bigger microphone. Right. And, and so this is what some of the other people were saying in response to him getting fired. Like, if you go on his Twitter, mm -hmm. people are like, what the hell? Like, Justin Trudeau gets to dress up in blackface and doesn't have to resign, but this guy gets fired. And and I so I think, yeah, it, it's a it's a fair comment and and something to think about. But the okay, so I but I want to get on to this Rob Ford thing actually, because this is something I had in mind when thinking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And thanks for raising it because it reminded me. So when Doug Ford, Rob Ford's brother, so some people people who are outside of Toronto and, and Canada might not know, Rob Ford is our former mayor. He did become quite famous because he engaged in drug abuse and some of that became public and there were videos. And anyway, so his brother ran recently as the premier of the province and, and won uh, as the leader of the conservatives. So when Doug Ford was campaigning and he was campaigning in places like Markham, where there's a large Chinese population, lots of liberals, left liberals, etc., were quite confused that he had a lot of uh, support in the Chinese community. And there's, you know, there's articles, there's one article, at least, I think on Vice, 
where one of the journalists went and talked to a few people in the community that were supporting Doug Ford's campaign. And he was saying, well, look, his brother, Rob Ford, said these horrible things about Chinese people. He said, you know, they work like dogs. The thing you just said, Mike. And the per people responded with like, well, he's right. We work really hard. Chinese people work really hard. And that, you know, Doug Ford, or sorry, Rob Ford wasn't trying to insult us. He was complimenting us. So this, again, I think it's it's indicative of the way in which within like left activist and left academic subcultures, we take in things in a way that's very different from the way regular people tend to take in things. And I would say that regular people take in these kinds of things in good faith. I think they're right. Rob Ford certainly was, from his standpoint, he was offering a compliment. Now, obviously, that's a really shitty way to offer someone a compliment to, to say, oh, you work like a dog. But as leftists, our response often is, well, you're a piece of shit, Rob Ford. How dare you say something like that? Whereas, you know, regular Chinese people who are listening to that, they're like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe they'll say, okay, that wasn't the best way to put it, but he means well. And I think we can't cede that ground, that ground of having a good faith interpretation of things. We can't cede that ground to, you know, feel good liberals. And certainly we can't cede that ground to the right, which I think we've done. And in the case of Rob Ford and Doug Ford, this happened so completely. It was, you know, the right. It was people who were supporting the conservative agenda who were saying, look, like Rob Ford, it's really sad that he has a problem with drug addiction and abuse. And it was leftists who were like, you know, sharing his videos and liberals were sharing his videos, laughing, haha, look at this guy smoking crack. And it's like, wait a minute, guys, you've turned this around. Or making fun that he wasn't well-educated. Right. And he used like language that wasn't sophisticated. Yeah. Yeah, and people still do this, right, with Trump. And in this this kind of like, haha, the people who vote for these people are also idiots. It's just, yeah, it's wrong. Well, I mean, the people that vote for Trump are also, you know, yeah, some of them, but the people that vote for Trump, some of them are also very well-educated. So. Right, but to, to come back to this comment by the CTV journalist then, yeah, I agree that, you know, when people say to Facebook or to Google or to these big corporations that they should monitor and shut down things, that it is giving a lot of power to completely unaccountable private institutions. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, given that there is, I think, this uh, PR campaigns and, and public relations and public image management that these big firms are doing, like CTV, they are going to, for their own benefit, anticipate that if they didn't discipline this guy, that there would be backlash. And they're certainly not principled enough from like an employment relations perspective to be like, no, this is our employee and this is his personal time and we can't infringe on. Mm -hmm. So at the very least, probably what would have happened if they hadn't fired him would have been that he's either forced to make a public apology officially through like, as a CTV employee. So I don't know. I mean, I agree that it's shitty. And I agree that 
left is like knee-jerk reactions does embolden players that we should be against but we also have this sort of uh, liberal hegemony of like having politically correct things be said and that is maintained through some of these corporations as well. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Oats for Breakfast. We'll be back again next week with a new topic. And we'll be back the week after that as well. Yeah, and we've actually got a great set of shows lined up in the coming weeks. We'll be publishing a discussion about the leader of the NDP, Jagmeet Singh. What we did is we read his book and we chatted about it. I think people will find that interesting given the way we are is quite critical. So hopefully you tune in for that. We'll also have a discussion about agriculture and food justice. And we'll have an interview with Sam Gindin, which asks him to reflect on his long life on the left. That's a lot to look forward to. Uh, Yeah. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you again before long.